0: God, we thank you so much for uh, the day that we've been given. Uh, there is so much that we take for granted, including the rising and the setting of the sun. Uh, we're grateful for moments where we can come together as your people to explore your word, uh, to appear into your character and your nature, and to learn more about you and who you've called us to be as your people. We pray that your spirit would be present among us this morning, that we would be transformed and renewed, in spirit and in mind, as we seek out ways in which we may follow where you lead. We're thankful for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose sacrifice brings us perfect unity and the bond of peace. We ask these things in his name. Amen. All right, Ephesians uh, chapter 5. We're just going to begin by reading this section. I'm going to kind of come back and uh, digest it and dissect it a little bit. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to start in, in verse 1 so we have a little bit of context before it just picks up in the middle of a phrase. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks for know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is, results in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear, for what makes everything clear is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. We'll stop there for a moment. I want you to think about this as we uh, begin this, this kind of walk through what Paul talks about here. It's live wisely. Very simply, that's, that's what he asks us to do. Pay attention to the way you walk is the way he begins the next section. But Live wisely. And he includes all of these things in a list and he, and he refers them all to idolatry. Idolatry has no place among you. And I've just been struck, especially of late, as I've dealt with you know, different things in my own personal life and, and, and different things as we approach you know, the kind of entertainment, the things that our culture be- continues to pour in us, the things that it continues to call normal and acceptable, how frequently those things lie in contrast to the Word of God. And we have a lot of these kinds of lists, if you will, of sins, and, and we tend to kind of gloss over you know, sexual immorality, and we get to the other things that we can talk about a little more plainly, because somehow we've lost the ability to really speak openly and honestly about what it means to be sexually pure. And in so doing, we've created a space where many times the only voices that our children here are the voices that the culture decides to pour into them about what it means to be sexually pure. Because it's a conversation we've tended to, to back away from because is it really my place to tell them what to do? And as parents, we want to have those conversations with our children, but frequently we don't know how to have those conversations even with our own children because it was really not a comfortable thing when my parents had it with me. And we've been taught that it's a a, a topic, or we've been shown that it's a topic that is just taboo. That we just don't talk about. People will come and they'll explore and they'll learn on their own. But the truth is, we don't learn on our own. We all have an influence of some kind. And if we don't pour into our children, into our young people, and into ourselves a godly understanding of what sexual purity means, if we don't do that as a church, I promise you this, Satan is more than happy to use culture to pour what he thinks you ought to know about what it means to be sexually pure and impure. So what do we do with these things? Because it does seem that that, that there is, we like the phrase, right? All sin is the same, it all separates us from God, and it's true, it does. But we can't say it all is exactly the same because it affects us differently. And even Paul says... There's something different about sexual sin than other sin. He said it's a sin against the body. So what is it about sexual impurity that on more than one occasion Paul would say flee sexual immorality? Have nothing to do with it. He says that about a lot of things, but it seems over and over again there is this separate thing that he warns us against when it comes to sexual immorality. And then he says, and by the way, the other sins are important too. You should abstain from them, but there's always this one part that's set apart. What is it about it that affects us so deeply? And how do we combat it as Christians? He says there shouldn't even be a hint. Among you. Let's think about some of the, the, the causes that we have. The first thing that we see is not the first thing, but one of the first things is that we live in a culture that has individualized the sexual relationship. It's really kind of said, you know what? There's really no norm. You can't tell me how to feel about another person or how I should act with another person because what I do is my business and it's not yours. And as long as I'm not hurting or harming you, then you've got no place in telling me how to live my life. And so we've come up with, with all kinds of different uh, terms and terminology and even abbreviations. And some of the abbreviations are longer than, than the terms because we've tried to classify and reclassify every individual desire or inkling not wanting to leave anyone out, and all of it, our culture has said is acceptable, and you can't say that it's not, because who are you to tell me what I do with my body and how I live my life? It, it, we live in a culture that has said it is so independent individual that we're really not accountable to one another for our sexuality, but what we hear from the one who created it in Genesis chapter one and verse twenty four he says, For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Matthew 19 and verse 5, and he says, Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. There is something very, very unique about what God has granted in such a way. And when we see God's intent for that relationship, it sure doesn't seem to be very individualized. It's quite intentional, it's quite specific. And what does it mean when we become one flesh? When we become one flesh, there is a new entity, there is a new identity, there is a new being that is formed. That relationship is a gift from God to humanity, not only to make sure that the human race moves forward, that there is a distinct purpose in that relationship. At its core, it is there to make sure that we have children who will carry on our name and our namesake and and, and the desires of the human race and and the progress that we would make. It is the only way for us to move forward in such a way. He says it's also a gift to a husband and wife to make that relationship something that is so unique to any other relationship they will ever have. In their life, to set it apart from all the other friendships, from all of the other camaraderies, from all of the other partnerships that we have. There is something unique there. Bonded in spirit to become one flesh. And we see that's true in the way that it affects people, the way it affects even unchristian people in negative ways when we exist outside of what God has designed for us. In fact, you don't have to look very far in our world to see the results of what our sexual disobedience has caused. Disease, abortion, molestation, addiction, exploitation, trafficking... All of these maladies exist in our world as a result of a race of people that has stepped outside of the confines of what God had designed to be holy and good and a great blessing not only to us as as people in a relationship but to a race of mankind altogether. He created boundaries for our good so that we could Enjoy the gift he gave as it was designed to be given and used. But another reason that it has become such a big deal is that it destroys the picture of that unbreakable covenant that God has with his people. Right? Look throughout the scriptures and what is the image that you get of God's relationship with his people? It is the relationship of a husband and a wife. Christ and his bride, the church. And when we look throughout our culture, and unfortunately throughout our churches, and we see the way marriages and those relationships have broken down, it becomes an issue because that is the image that we have of the relationship that God has with His people. He bought us with His own blood. And that marriage covenant is an illustration of God's unbreakable covenant with us. And when that unbreakable covenant becomes very easily dissolvable, it becomes an issue of our witness to the world as well. And so especially in the church, we've got to, to reclaim those things, right? And we've been talking we talked about this this morning in the college class, that we've got to be a people who are about reclaiming God's things for god's purposes because we've allowed the world to take the things that god intended for good and use them for their own benefit and for their own pleasure and as a result the world has no idea or concept of who god is and what he wants for his people so church we've got to go reclaim those things and tell them yes this is good but it's good as it's designed to be and how much better would we be If even as people of the world we lived according to God's principles. Granted they don't. Because they think it flies in the face of what they desire. But the truth is. God is offering them exactly what they seek. They just need someone to show them how that is true. When we engage in all kinds of relationships and activities that violate God's intention. They bring about serious consequences. They bring about consequences physically. They bring about consequences emotionally. They bring about consequences spiritually. They bring about consequences culturally. We see those things playing out. And I know we dismiss some young people, but I'm telling you, I have a friend who is a minister, and he said he just had to have a conversation with his seven-year-old because he brought pornography home from school. Seven years old. Because we live in a culture that has so normalized that kind of activity. Say, hey, look, it's individualized. You just do whatever you want to do. I don't have anything by Lady Gaga in my library. I guess that's good. Probably needed a tension breaker, right? But we live in a culture that has said it's just normal. You do whatever you want to do, and it doesn't matter when, and nobody can tell you what's right and what's wrong, and that's just not right. And it's a conversation that we have to be able to, be, to have, and we have to realize that this is not a taboo topic that we avoid and just hope they'll figure it out along the way, but rather we walk our young people, we walk ourselves into this conversation that says God has designed something special, intentional, and when used properly, it's something that not only that not only can change who, who our families are, but it can change our world. We can begin to repair the damage that has been created by the deceiver. We have to have the courage and the wherewithal to have those talks. And unfortunately, because the technological age we live in, we have to have those talks younger and younger and younger. And you might think, well, that's okay. My kids don't watch anything on TV. They only watch cartoons. I promise you this, watch the cartoons, the jokes, the innuendos. It's in the cartoons that your kids are watching. It's everywhere. Because we live in a world that has just normalized it. They use it to sell everything from cars to shampoo. And you know why they do? Because we've demonstrated that it works. And more and more, I mean, I I can't even really turn my kids loose on Netflix and and the children's titles because there's always something on some of those Netflix originals that seems okay for a while, and all of a sudden, it's like, where did this come from? Because all those Netflix originals, Hulu originals, Prime originals, they're not policed By the same kind of people that are policing, poorly policing, yet policing nonetheless what we see on primetime television or in the movies. These things are prevalent in our society and they are rotting our society at its core. And church, when will we take back those things? When will we redeem them? Because it's not evil. It's not wicked. It's not sinful. When used for his purpose and in his design. But sex is not the problem. Right what is the root of the problem you see we want to go in and we want to go into the culture and we want to call something perverse and we want to use these terminologies that bring about moral feelings or, or inclinations if you will but we live in a culture that says you can't assign morality to anything you can't say that it's uh, a, a a a devolving I just lost the word, that that it's a perversion, if you will, of what is right, because you can't assign morality to my behavior. You're in no place to do that. And so what is the root of the problem? If you look at Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, if if, if I didn't know any better, you could say this was written into our culture. Romans chapter 1 says this, for though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as, as God, or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were dark and claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the image resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles, and therefore God delivered them over to the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded amongst themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served something created over the Creator, who is to be praised forever. He You see, this is not a new problem with humanity. We've just created more convenient ways of accessing the things that Satan has to offer. To exchange the truth of God for a lie. Church, we've got to exchange the lie for the truth of God and begin proclaiming the truth of God to a culture that, know it or not, is desperate for it. They're dying to hear it. They just don't know what it is going to be that's going to quench the appetite, that's going to satisfy what they are looking for. You see, pride always leads to depravity. And the truth is, what's really at the root of the cause of all of these sins is the same as what's at the root of sexual immorality. And that is this understanding that you are not your own. The only way to proclaim in a way that can be heard is is by living light, though, and proclaiming. Because we can go out and you can have conversations and the problem is we get into this moral exercise of saying you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong instead of just demonstrating the fact that we as Christians can live in a way that is fulfilling and satisfying physically, emotionally and spiritually to refuse to participate in a culture that continues to, to, to give out the message that says well Once you get married, sex stops. We hear that joke all the time on TV and in movies. And, and, and as a church, we've, we, we've stopped teaching the truth about human sexuality. And when it comes to the list, we kind of skip over that because we don't want to talk about it. And we begin talking about other things. But maybe we skip over greed, too, because they don't want to talk about greed too much. But it doesn't have the same kind of connotation that sexual sin does. Maybe because our world isn't out there, you know, screaming about greed in the same way they are about their identity. But here's the thing about being the light. And this is what Paul gets to in Ephesians. He says, you've got to live differently. Right, and there is a way of exposing darkness that does so in a way that is loving, that is upfront, that is bold. Yet maybe is not as judgmental as, as we see occurring. And, and, and here's the thing, those judgmental voices, they're not the majority. I believe that about Christendom. I believe that the people that I read and watch and see in, in, the, in the public sphere... Those mentalities, those attitudes are not representative of who we are as a whole as Christians. I believe that we are more loving than that. I believe that we are more concerned about people than that. I believe that we have the ability to actually have conversations. I know that because I've had conversations with you. And there's some things that we get passionate about, but at the same time, we have the ability to simply sit down over a cup of coffee and disagree with one another and do it respectfully and do it in love. And allow a conversation to continue. Guys, your voice needs to be heard in that way. Because right now the only representation that the world has about Christianity is the one that just comes in in condemnation. With finger pointing and vitriolic speech. That in no way represents the mind of Christ. But if we walk in the light and if we live light, light exposes the darkness. And here's the thing that I've seen. Just like Paul says, that when people come to the gospel, the gospel exposes the darkness. Just like if this room were dark and I begin to shine a light in here, I could begin to see the things. The darkness begins to move. The darkness is exposed and the darkness is expelled. Because darkness can't exist in the presence of light. If there is darkness and light, light always overcomes darkness. Darkness never overtakes a light that is present. It's just the nature of light. And He says, you are the light of the world. And when you live in such a way, the light with which you live exposes the darkness and it expels the darkness that is there. And as we proceed and progress into the culture in which we live, we are the light that exposes and expels the darkness in which we live. And just like if we were to turn the lights off in here, it would be difficult to see. Well, it wouldn't because we've got a lot of light coming in. But if we're in a perfectly dark room, if you sit in darkness for a little while, you know what you get to do? You (laughs) you get to sleep. Yeah. If you don't get to sleep, your eyes begin to adjust. And it can become quite comfortable in the dark until somebody turns the light switch on. I mean, I I go into my kid's room in the morning and I turn the light on. You know why I turn the light on? Because it's the quickest way to get them up. Because they hate the light when they've been in the darkness. And the covers will come up over their head for a minute. And I get to pull the covers off too. Say, wake up! It's time to get up. It's time to go. Right? But there's that resistance to the light because we've grown comfortable in the darkness. We're nice and cozy there. We're covered up in our warm beds and we're ready to go. And we don't want light coming in. Right in the world, will be resistant to that. I am resistant to that. But what we find out after a short time is, guess what? I can see so much better in the light. I can see what I need to avoid. I can see what needs to be moved. I can see what needs to be put away. And I can see the things that I've just passed over for a while in the light. Things that would cause me to stumble or fall in the darkness. We expose and we expel, but... but but here is, is the difference in the spiritual light that we are and the light that we see in the world because actual light can't transform darkness. But the light of Christ transformed darkness so that even the darkness begins to shine for the cause of the light. And then the light that we live with exposes, it expels, but not only that, it transforms the darkness into light. He says, that is who you are to be as the people of God. Jesus says, you are the light of the earth. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And no one lights lights a lamp and hides it under a basket. Light, hide it under a bushel? No. Bad things happen when you hide light under a bushel. Ask my brother, you catch shirts on fire when you hide light under things. We let our light shine. And in so doing, we learn to embrace what pleases God. Right, And that's where he gets to. He says you live wisely. You understand the things that really don't please God, that don't live in accordance with His will, and you avoid those things. But instead, you find the things that please God, and you live according to that. Because of, here, how do I know what pleases God? Right, that, that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? Because we can say that. I want to do what pleases God, but the question is how do you know what pleases God? And I would say, how do you know what pleases anybody? Back in 1995, I got a call from a friend. And that friend said, hey, Josh, there's somebody I want you to meet. And I said, okay. said, can you meet me outside the calf? you know, right after chapel? And I said, sure. And so Liz walked up and said, hey, Josh, this is Heather. And I said, hey, how are you? And we talked for about five minutes, and about that time, uh, A friend of mine, his name was, no lie, J. Wyatt Earp. He was in Kappa. I was rushing Kappa. He walked up and said, hey, Fowler, we're all going to Johnny's. You coming? And so I looked at Wyatt Earp, and I looked at Heather, and I looked at Wyatt Earp, and I looked at Heather. And I'm like, "Uh, I'll call you later, I said to Heather. And I ran and jumped in the back of Jay's truck and drove off to Johnny's. And we did. We talked later. You know what I discovered? I discovered that I, I really wanted to know a little bit more about Heather. Uh, but you know, I didn't just walk through life hoping that it would come to me by osmosis. I, had, I don't think I'd ever watched a minute of gymnastics in my life. But about three weeks after we met, guess what I was doing? Nope, not watching gymnastics. I was coaching Gymnastics. I was coaching gymnastics because she worked at a gym and she loved gymnastics. And really what I was doing was glorified babysitting because I had preschoolers. And anybody can do a forward roll and a bunny hop. But that's where I started. I started because it gave me a chance to get closer to her, to get to know her more, to get to love something that she loves. You see, for people that we love, we will go to great lengths to find out what makes them tick. We've got to do the same thing for God. That he has character, he has personality, he has things that he desires and things that he loves. And he has the same desire for you. To know what pleases God and to live accordingly. Embrace what pleases God.